This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Teal Talk Radio Season 5, Episode 39. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 39 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funihatton and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funihatton. Looking forward to this conversation today, Randy, where we welcome Angela Stockman and Ellen Feig Gray, co-authors of Hacking School Culture, Designing Compassionate Classrooms, uh, this morning on our podcast. So a little bit more about our guest. Um, Ellen is a certified positive psychology practitioner and life coach, providing professional consultation, coaching, workshops, and practical wisdom to support parents on their journey to help their children and families flourish. She uses a strengths-based approach to her work, focusing her clients on what is working and building upon those practices and strategies to achieve greater well-being and happiness. And Angela is an author and international literacy consultant. As a professional learning facilitator, she works collaboratively with students, teachers, and administrators to identify each system's strengths, define its goals, and design initiatives that help organizations realize their vision. And much of Angela's work is devoted to the development of literacy skills within and beyond the English language arts classroom. You might recall that we interviewed Angela previously on TL Talk Radio as part of season two, and that podcast was focused on our previous book, Make Writing, Turn Writer's Workshop into a Makerspace. So welcome to the podcast, Ellen and Angela. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. Thanks. All right. So good to have you here. Thanks so much for your time today. And let's start our conversation with uh, how about a personal story about how you got connected to this idea of school culture and its importance? So as a parent and someone who works with parents around helping their children flourish, I've kind of always been uh, sensitized to the importance of school culture. Um, I noticed very early on when my own son was in school that he thrived when he had positive connections with teachers and peers, and he didn't when uh, he was feeling unsafe, uh, kind of anxious, or not valued in in the classroom or in the school. Um, There were times when uh, he was in a school environment where Teachers and principals just simply greeted each one of the students when they came in the classroom or where they walked in the door of the the, uh, school and gave them a high five or a smile or whatever. And those were the days that he had a good day. Uh, It was simple as that. 
And there were other days when he came home miserable because a teacher had called him out for doodling or for asking too many questions or um, making him <laughs> feel um, uncomfortable in some other way. Um, and uh, I, as when I studied positive psychology and positive education, I started to connect my own personal experiences and the stories that I was hearing from parents about how the school environment and the connection with teachers and peers was affecting their uh, children's ability to learn and thrive. Um, and I started connecting the research to my own personal experience and realized that school culture is a really important factor in establishing um, the right kind of environment for children at every age to learn and thrive. And I also have to say that I was inspired by Angela and her work with uh, creating maker spaces to facilitate uh, literacy and writing. And um, I, I saw through the work that she was doing the potential for transforming school culture by practicing empathy and compassion. So that's how you got connected. Well, we had, yeah, we had been friends before and um, discussed one another's work. And she shared more with me about what she was doing in the classroom. And I had the opportunity to observe her um, with students and with teachers. And I started to notice that she was really practicing empathy and compassion in, in a big way. And uh, then we started our discussion about how school culture was important to uh, learning. We tend to teach the way that we've been taught sometimes. And we also tend to um, relate to students the way that our teachers, you know, once related to us. And so I came up through a system and I taught for 12 years inside of a system, relying on the best of what I knew how to do um, and living out a lot of the assumptions, you know, that were sort of hardwired into me as I came through public school myself. And that was that the teacher was the boss and the teacher was the one that the students learned from. And um, that in order to be in control of quality inside of our schools and classrooms, we needed to make sure that the teacher was centered within the work. And all of that kind of changed rather unexpectedly and it wasn't planned when I started a writing studio outside of the school system and I brought teachers from different school districts together to kind of just study what great writing is and how kids produce it inside of a, a more organic environment. It, it was happening outside of school and so we didn't have bells and we didn't have a lot of the same constraints and a lot of the same um, assumptions that we used inside of public school and that we needed to rely on in order to maintain, you know, what we assumed was order didn't happen inside of that space. And so the learning was very different and it was richer as a result. And one of the kids inside of my studio, um, he was a, a kindergarten student. Mom, you know, signed him up because he was a resistant writer and he didn't like it very much. And she was worried about how he would perform moving forward in school. And he cried for three days in a row because he didn't want to write a story. And um, on the third day, it was it was no 
uh, act of genius on my part. I was really just feeling very defeated and I, I was brokenhearted that this kid was so miserable. And I said, you know, if you could do anything other than write, what would it be? And he said, play with my Legos. So I said, we'll bring them tomorrow. And of course he brings the Legos and he starts playing with them and I'm able to work with other kids a little bit more. And one of my colleagues walked over to me and said, you know, you need to go watch what he's doing with those. And of course he was writing a story. He just wasn't using print. And that was the, I think, defining moment for me in shifting my understanding of what it meant to be a teacher and a learner, because that was the moment when I just started following kids. Um, and that was a big shift inside of my own practice. And it led me um, in, into wanting to know more about supporting empathy and supporting design thinking practices, which are rooted and driven in that and um, fostering a greater sense of compassion. And then my own daughter really struggled um, with the increased incidence of school violence, um, you know, all around the country and especially gun violence. Um, and the busyness and the pressures inside of, of what it, it means to be a kid and a student these days. So all of those things, I think, created common ground for Ellen and I to talk together. And our entry points into the work are very different in that I tend to work with teachers more, um, but her work with parents and with kids as well, I, I really think that that's where the change begins. Um, and so there's so much opportunity there uh, you know, to develop that conversation, I think, a little bit more. So what an interesting story to start our conversation. Two interesting stories. Um, I'm, I'm making a connection, Angela, to what you said about, you know, teachers tend, in general, large gener generalization, right, tend to teach the way they were taught. But your yeah. second part about tend to relate to learners the way teachers related to them as learners. And, you know, there's probably a real need for a shift there, too, in terms of, you know, no teacher ever would have told me to bring my Legos in because I didn't want to write a story. Everybody was writing the story. You wrote the story, right? Like it was just a very different time. There was no conversation about choice and voice and there was no um, dif different differentiation, maybe I should say, not to generalize, but things were very different in the conversation for teaching and learning um, then as it is now. And I'm really making a connection to that relationship idea and relating to kids in different ways um, and the and your Lego story really exemplifies that idea yeah I, I think that it takes some real discrimination to understand when we are allowing or enabling kids to break rules in ways that diminish learning or diminish relationships and when we are willing, to understand how following kids and following their lead and maybe letting go of the rule actually elevates the learning and elevates relationships. And for sure, there are times when kids need to do what they are asked to do. Um, but there's a big difference between holding up a rule because it's a rule and you're going to do what I say. Um, and, you know, I told you to write with a pencil, so that's what you need to write with. And having the humility to understand that, that kids have something to contribute and that if we follow them a little bit, they can actually make us better teachers. Mm -hmm. And the willingness to release that control and agency, right? Yeah, yeah. So let's dive into the book, Hacking School Culture, and maybe each of you could give us one of the big ideas in the book and um, 
you know, why that idea matters to you and why it's important to you and, and why you authored uh, this text for parents and teachers and, and learners and leaders such as ourselves. One of the things that I think I tend to rely on most often is the practice of empathy mapping, which I learned from Dave Gray and Suni Brown and James McAnufo, who wrote the book Game Storming. And it circles back into my work on an almost daily um, and at the very least weekly basis. Empathy mapping is a practice by which we um, engage our audience, our intended audience. So whether I'm supporting teachers as they're developing curriculum or whether I'm supporting writers, um, who are in the kindergarten classroom and we're writing stories together. My first goal is to find out what are the problems that they're facing that our work together could solve or what are the opportunities that they're really excited about chasing and how could our work help them or empower them to do that. It's the same practice that I teach writers of all ages, even kindergartners, is to think about who is your audience and how can you write something that solves a problem for them or how can you write something that inspires them to seek an opportunity? And so empathy mapping is um, a, a pretty big part of the work that I contributed um, to that book. And um, I think it's really exciting that that conversation is continuing to grow because a lot of the teachers that I support and the people that I'm connected to online are translating that work and using it in different ways, regardless of what their role is inside of a system. And I know that, you know, Ellen, um, has a lot of contributions to make there as well because she comes from a very different place as a professional, um, but this work influences hers too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, one, of, one of the big ideas that really um, is close to my heart is that empathy and compassion can be cultivated. Uh, and um, so what, what I started to realize through my own experience and work in positive psychology research is that um, when uh, you work with children or other adults, um, you can only really practice empathy when you've had practice with self-empathy. And, um, and so, one of the major contributions I made to the book was through um, suggesting various evidence-based practices that teachers could experiment with in their own lives to see how they could cultivate their own self-empathy and self-compassion. Simple things that um, are supported by research such as Practicing gratitude, keeping a gratitude journal, um, three good things that happened today, uh, framing your experiences in a more benefit-finding light rather than finding the the negatives um, or focusing on them. Because you know the brain research says that we have a tendency to have a negative bias to see things in a negative light, and it's harder to. Um, form those positive connections. So those things, so in order to practice empathy and compassion, we really have to be mindful and um, have intention, practice with intention. And it doesn't mean that everybody has to meditate or do yoga or, you know, um, be, you know, practice some sort of woo-woo um, 
kind of, um, you know, new age thing. Uh, it, it basically means to kind of take a breath uh, or three, uh, look inside yourself, notice how you're feeling, sit with those feelings, allow yourself to be human, experience all feelings, not want to fix your feelings, but uh, experiencing them. And then take that attitude and and those practices with you when you're in a dynamic environment like a classroom so you can notice perhaps what your students are bringing to the classroom um there's a really sobering statistic now besides the school violence that is unfortunately increasing that um one in three kids before the age of 18 will be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. And one in five will suffer from a major depressive episode. And those are just current statistics that are sobering. Uh, and um, I think if teachers realize, and I, I know that many of the teachers we interviewed for our book did report uh, that they notice an increase in anxiety and depression and just a general feeling of discomfort and trauma that their kids are, are coming into the classroom with. And, uh, and there's also been an increase in teachers um, coming to the classroom feeling unsafe, uneasy, anxious. Uh, and, and so there's opportunity to kind of connect on a human level and to become, uh, I guess, as Brene Brown says, more vulnerable and, um, and more authentic. And I think those are the, the you know, the seeds of compassion that, uh, that we say are um, planted in the classroom and cultivated and should be cultivated by the entire system. So one of the things we talk a lot about here in our district is learner-centered, becoming more learner-centered. And I think that's one of the strongest connections that we have to the work that you're doing. And in your in your book, you focus on some protocols for strengths-focused teaching and learning. This idea, I think, of uh, looking at asset-based thinking uh, and approaching the work through that lens. So what, what does this mean, this idea of strength-focused to you, and how might teachers use the protocols that you share in the book? So for me, my work around strengths-focused teaching was inspired by a kind of a real deep dive into appreciative inquiry, which I'm um, a pretty big fan of and I try to incorporate in my work as much as possible, although it, it takes dedicated practice um, to really consistently think that way um, and make assessments in that way. But for me, appreciative inquiry um, taught me that when we are able to focus on what is working inside of a relationship, um, inside of a system, uh, inside of our own learning and work, when we are supporting learners, when we're able to identify instead of gaps first, if we're able to un identify what is working and use criteria specific feedback um, to elevate that even further, what tends to happen is that the deficits um, are attended to well 
as a result. So it, it doesn't really matter what the context is. And it's not about ignoring the fact that we have deficits. It's about really being very strategic about focusing on our strengths and, um, and growing that good. And it, it, I guess it, it comes down to that, that, you know, old cliche that what you appreciate appreciates. Mm. And so there are mm. some, there are some very, you know, concrete strategies that we share in the book. Um, and I think that they're useful to teachers who worry that it's just about, you know, um, uh, putting, you know, putting a lot of like positives on kids that are disingenuine. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the strategies enable us to do it in a way that is really authentic and criteria specific um, and purposeful and strength spotting is one of them. And I'll, I'll let Ellen talk about that a little bit more. So, so one of the uh, ways of framing uh, strengths um, comes from the, the field of positive education, which is um, really doing a lot of work around character strengths. Um, the, in particular, the one that uh, I know best is the, the VIA character, um, which was developed at University of Pennsylvania by Marty Seligman and uh, Chris Peterson and, and other colleagues. And basically what it holds is that we, what we all share in common actually across cultures um, are 24 basic character strengths and six virtues um, that we all possess in varying degrees of, of, of uh, strength. So for example, humor, perseverance, curiosity, creativity, fairness, perspective, zest, teamwork, these are all examples of strengths that really, um, you know, that we all have and that we can all bring to the, the, the front or um, cultivate further. And each one of us has certain signature strengths, which are the ones that we feel most comfortable with or the ones that identify us. You know, if somebody asks you, um, you know, so tell me about you, Randy. You might say, well, I'm funny and um, um, I'm really creative and, you know, um, and I really love to work in a team. Well, those are strengths that you, that are um, kind of describe you and that you um, bring to various situations every day. So, um, I really like this perspective because it helps us create a common language to relate to one another. And a lot of the research in positive education has shown that when the, the character strengths are uh, used in this way as a, as a common language in a classroom or in a system, uh, that can uh, really increase the student performance, um, job satisfaction uh, for, for teachers and administrators, and um, is basically has a positive effect all around. So Angela and I developed um, something called the Strength Spotting Center, which is a way for, for teachers and students to interact with one another to recognize when we, when each one of them is bringing forward to a situation, one of the character strengths. And um, 
that resource can be accessed in um, in our uh, in a Google Drive that's connected to QR codes at the back of each chapter, mm-hmm. um, and um, so um, you know, so that's one way to look at strengths. And there are other character strengths, inventories, um, and surveys. And um, but but this is the one that um, I I think has been best researched in an educational setting. Thanks for sharing that with us, Ellen, and hopefully our listeners, when you get a copy of the book, you can scan those QR codes and see some of the value-added resources that you have included in the Google Drive. So you also include some tools for you know, starting hard conversations or coaching critical questioning and respectful communication. Angela, could you share a little bit about um, the peer review protocol that you've used in yeah. your work and you know, why you've designed this and how you use it? Um, I was a fellow of Communities for Learning, Leading Lasting Change for a number of years. That is a professional learning community um, that was started by Dr. Giselle Martin-Kniep and Diane Cunningham and Joanne Pacone-Zokia. And inside of that experience, as a writer, um, I was exposed to and expected to of get better at providing feedback to my colleagues inside of that community and we used a peer review protocol um, that was not grounded in compliments or criticism but instead in the use of criteria specific warm and cool feedback and as i began sharing that with students and with teachers one of the things that we learned how to do was to frame cool feedback in the form of a question and to frame all of our feedback in response to specific things that writers were interested in, um, which allowed them to retain a bit of ownership over their work. And so when I think about creating a compassionate classroom, so much of my work is about taking these practices and tools and protocols and, and processes and mindsets and integrating them deeply into the content specific work that we're doing. So it's not necessarily an add on. Um, It is how we're executing the protocol. So if someone experienced my peer review protocol, their perspective would be that I was teaching a writing class. I don't know that they would see at the surface that what I'm really doing is coaching empathy Hmm. and coaching the use of compassion. Um, And this is a challenge that I think Ellen and I are continuing to face as the book comes out into the world and people are talking about it um, a little bit more and trying to decide you know, how do we bring this to our students and how do we bring it to teachers when we're so overloaded already um, with commitments and expectations and we're, you know, our class periods are too tight and our class sizes are too high and we have 400 initiatives already going on in our school. (laughs) I I deeply appreciate that because I'm the one leading some of those 400 initiatives that have, that seem to have nothing to do um, with the development of compassionate classrooms and and with shifting culture. But I think that if you can come to the book well aware of what your expertise is and what your content specialty is or what your role is inside of the system, I think what's really rewarding is taking what we're suggesting and, and deeply infusing it inside of your work. Like I use design thinking and I use empathy practices to create the theories of change and the strategic plans that I design for schools around curriculum alignment. Mm 
work. Um, I use those same practices to run data team meetings. I use those same practices to coach workshop inside of, of classrooms. And so I don't know that it has to be treated as an add-on. And that's, I think, something that can help the work to move forward a little bit. Yeah. So Ellen, you mentioned earlier about a Google Drive that had some resources, and I think that's uh, something accessible on your compassionateclassrooms.org website, which we'll put in the show notes. Tell us a little bit about what uh, our listeners might find available on that site. Um, Well, Angela and I have curated um, resources, links to books and and articles um, that support the ideas around compassionate classrooms. Um, and uh, also, uh, I know Angela has dropped in some additional protocols that are perhaps not in the book that Compassionate Classrooms uh, subscribers can access, and they're all free. And um, Angela's great at, at developing these protocols, and I know has put a, a lot of her heart and soul into that. So they're really valuable resources that uh, anyone in the Compassionate Classrooms community can avail themselves of. Great. Sounds like lots of resources um, there and also an opportunity to get connected um, to people with similar interests and challenges and um, strengths to explore. I guess we should focus from that lens. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Love of learning is actually one of the 24 strengths. And I would imagine that that's pretty high in the uh, signature strengths of all of us here. Absolutely. So this season, we added, and Angela, this is new, so we didn't do this in season two, but this season we've added sort of our lightning round uh, response questions. And the purpose of this, these questions is really just to get some more resources, to have some more ideas to share in our show notes so that our listeners can um, explore some different resources. So are you ready? We are. Ready. <laughs> ready. Who is one expert our listeners should connect with to learn more about school culture? I think that Yale Emotion is doing some incredible work, um, and I have the good fortune to work in some schools that collaborate with them, um, and they're very accessible online. And so taking a peek at um, how they support schools is, is very worthwhile. Great. Thank you. Um, I'd have to say uh, Allie Kaufman, who's the founder of Uh, what she calls a modern schoolhouse for the social world. It's called Space of Mind, and it's in Delray Beach, Florida. And I'm not sure if she has a really robust um, online presence, but she uh, gave me permission to give out her name. Um, And uh, she's also a um, the director of a new project called the Community Classroom Project, which is basically trying to connect schools, parents, and the community around a, uh, a hub of learning and support and, and parent educator resources in Delray Beach. So I would have to say Allie. Yeah. All right. And, um, you know, I think it's so valuable. It's wonderful. Like I would mention Brene Brown, but, you know, the entire world is aware that Brene Brown is doing amazing work. (laughs) Um, And so what I love is the fact that Ellen's referencing um, humans that maybe are not um, quite as well known as Brene Brown, but doing really incredible things and, and, committing to that work tirelessly. And I have the good fortune to work in North Rockland Central School District with um, some pretty incredible people, including Raina Texler, who is doing 
uncommon work with mindfulness and school culture and compassion at the elementary level. She's a teacher there. Um, she is online uh, at Ruby Sneakers on Twitter and um, is wonderful about making her own practices transparent and sharing her thinking and her work and her tools. And um, she gets great support from her administrator, Dr. Chris Felicello, who I also um, think he's blogging actually at um, the teacher and the admin with Gary Armida. He's a teacher in the district. And each one of their posts attends to um, a different social emotional issue, how they are experiencing that in their own work as a school administrator or a teacher. Um, and so those three fine, fine people um, are just very human and accessible on Twitter, online. And I yeah. think that you, you would do well to join their community because they're very supportive. Yeah. And I had the privilege of interviewing Raina. I've never met her in person, but I interviewed Raina Texler for, uh, for our book and her story uh, is told in the book. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Okay. And so let's transition to book. Perfect. So if you were recommending one book for our listeners, what might that book be? For me, that's a really hard question. Um, <laughs> but since it's a lightning round, um, I actually think that the book that's influenced me the most um, as, a, as a parent and in thinking about children and teens in the context of a classroom, um, I would have to say Fire Child, Water Child by Dr. Stephen Cowan. And even though the subtitle of that book has to do with ADHD, um, I love the way he frames um, children's natures and sensitizes readers to the variety of natures that we all kind of bring to the classroom experience. And I think it's a really valuable book for teachers too, because um, I, you know, in a, in a positive way, they can see, see their students uh, and, and how their natures may contribute to their behaviors. For example, a, um, a child may be sitting and staring out the window and looking like they're not paying attention. Um, but they, they really are, uh, um, you know, listening, um, but that's the way they, their nature is they, they don't engage as we, our body language sometimes um, needs to uh, show uh, that we're engaging. They just have a different way of doing it. Um, or that same child could be studying the bird that's outside the window and really not paying attention. Mm -hmm. So I, I love the book because um, I think Dr. Cowan has really has his finger on the pulse of understanding children in a different way that doesn't judge them negatively, but really is founded on empathy and compassion. And it's all, it's also inspired by the wisdom tradition of um, Chinese traditional thought. And I'm a huge fan of the wisdom traditions. Anytime that I have the opportunity to direct people's eyes toward Italy and Reggio Emilia practices, I do this. Um, if there were ever a culture or a way of teaching and learning that absolutely organically 
integrates empathy and compassion. It's the Reggio Emilia approach. And so if I had to recommend a book, it would be The 100 Languages of Children by Loris Malaguzzi. And even though that is not a book that is specific to mindfulness or those practices, um, I think that it provides a perspective around where we could go in the future inside of our own culture if we truly want to raise compassionate human beings who are able to practice empathy. Yeah. All right. no, I think what, what's interesting is that both Angela and I chose books that were not really about school culture, but about right. um, un, being human and, and human-centered approaches to life and to education. Mm -hmm. And that that's really the essence of what we tried to capture in um, Hacking School Culture and um, really started to, wanted to, our intention really was to start a conversation around compassionate classrooms. Mm -hmm. All right, and last question, is there an online site or resource or person um, from, from whom you learn regularly? Well, I continue to learn from my positive psychology teachers um, from the Holbing Institute, including Tal Ben-Shahar and the work of Marty Seligman and his, all of his colleagues, including Angela Duckworth um, at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, I recently got a chance to learn from Anthony Selden, Sir Anthony Selden, um, from the UK and he's the head of the International Positive Education Network. And I really like the work that they're doing at the Mayerson Academy, uh, which grew out of the, um, the VIA Institute, viacharacter.org. And they're doing some really great work too at Ma the Making Caring Common Project at Harvard's Graduate School of Education. I am... Um... I'm thinking a lot about privilege inside of these conversations more and more and more often. And I find myself so completely inspired by all of the teachers and educators who hang out in the hashtag DTK12 chat community on Twitter, which is the design thinking K12 chat community. Um, there are teachers from wildly different um cultures inside of that particular space uh, in terms of privilege. So we have teachers who are working in communities that are incredibly rural um, and that might struggle with uh, perhaps higher rates of poverty. And we have teachers who are working inside of um, wealthier schools and wealthier in communities. We have people working in public ed and people working in independent schools. And what I love is the community that they've built around that and how they're truly taking these theories and ideas that you know so-called experts are touting and they make them very practical. And they are living the reality of that every single day in their classrooms. And I think that that these are the people who are the real champions of this work. And they are incredibly engaging and welcoming um, and very active online. And it, it's the DTK12 chat community. And I am very grateful for all they do and all they share. We will link uh, to that chat as well in the show notes. Thank you so much for both of you. Yeah. And if, and if people um, want to connect their conversation on Twitter with compassionate classrooms. They should use the hashtag 
compassionate classrooms. Okay, we'll include that one as well. All right, so good conversation today. Let's wrap it up with, how about if you share with us what's next for you, either as a as collaborators or as individuals? Well, I think that we are still in the very new stages of conversation around um, compassionate classrooms inside of schools. And um, for the last um, 15 years, a lot of my work focuses on uh, the integration of English language arts best practices for teachers inside of schools. And I take a lot of these um, protocols and tools and integrate them into that work. And um, I've been really excited about having more of a digital and online presence this year. And these conversations are happening there as well. And that's been really rewarding. Yeah, um, I'm finding that uh, because schools are such demanding and challenging environments, that um, the, the most effective way to impact teachers around this is to have com these conversations outside of the classroom. I agree. Um, and so I'm finding, trying to find ways um, to bring these conversations um, and to introduce practices and discuss compassionate classrooms with teachers, parents, and students, however I can. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, because, you know, the bottom line is it really does start with growing your own um, self-compassion, empathy, and ultimately bringing that into the classroom. Well, thank you both for joining us. It's really interesting to see this, um, these two different lenses to produce this uh, work, this collaborative work, um, and synergize to create something really meaningful for us in K-12 education, as well as at home with our, our families and our kids. We're really grateful for the opportunity. Thanks for having us. Our pleasure. Yes. Thanks so much. This was a great conversation. Appreciate it. Each episode, we leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking reflection and conversation. This episode's question, which of the ideas shared in today's podcast will you take action on to change the culture of your classroom or school? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources shared today, visit the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season five, episode 39. And that's all for this episode of TL Talk Radio. We'll be back soon with more conversations featuring other innovative thought leaders. Thanks again, Ellen and Angela. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Thank Bye -bye. to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.